Amen. Well, we didn't finish what we started last week. Um, we're in the middle of our series on uh, what makes healthy church, and uh, we were looking at the whole subject of church membership, and we didn't get to the end. So I've been debating this week whether to just leave it or whether to carry on and finish off. And I, I probably had quite a chunk that I wanted to talk about. Uh, so I've, I've taken uh, the decision that we'll, we'll have a little recap. I think quite a few of you weren't here last week. Uh, there are some CDs on the table at the back or you can listen on, online uh, last week's talk. Uh, but I thought we'd have a little recap very briefly on what we thought about last week and then get into what we didn't talk about last week. If that's okay. Um, we were thinking last week about the fact that we live... Shall I just dim a light? Oh dear. That's a light, isn't it? Uh, we were thinking last week about the fact that we live in a very individualistic culture. And um, if it was a recipe, there'd be a little dash of commitment phobia thrown in there as well. Uh, this whole culture seems to be very individual, doesn't it? Every man for himself. And this idea of commitment phobia, something better might come along. I don't really want to commit too early. I've got to keep my options open. And um, it's kind of a yes, no, maybe kind of idea. So we think about that. Uh, we were also asking the question, what is a church? And uh, we learned that a church is not just describing a building like this one. But the word church, when it's used in the Bible, is really describing uh, people, a group of people who are committed uh, to following Christ and who are committed to one another. That's what a church is, really. It's the people. And uh, we spent some time, and, and this is probably where I got carried away, we, we were thinking about some of the avoidance strategies that Christians can use really as excuses for not being plugged in in a committed way to a local church. And we, I showed this slide. There are three things that we perhaps struggle with in life. I'm talking about Christians now. Uh, it, it, these, are, these are things that we have to take seriously if we're wanting to love and follow Jesus and be obedient to him. But there are three things that are a struggle and Jesus never promised that these three things would be easy. The first one is going out into the world with the gospel. Evangelism, that's a struggle. Uh, secondly, getting on with people that you don't see eye to eye with is a struggle. Um, if you've not experienced with that, let me know what the secret is. We all have uh, frictions and things that go on between us and it's hard Sometimes people would rather uh, not be with people who they don't say I try with. It's a struggle. But the third thing, often in a secret way, can be just coping with our own struggles, can't it? Facing our own inadequacies, difficulties, uh, maybe even uh, besetting sins, habits, and often the struggles that go on within us from a discipleship point of view are the hardest things for us to face. What we said last week was one of the most important things about church is that in calling Jesus in calling his disciples to commit themselves to each other, he is calling us to face all three of these things. 
by being part of a church. Jesus does not want us to hide from these realities. And uh, it is important for us to face these things by being committed to one another. And we said this, didn't we? Jesus will always uh, force us to face ourselves with honesty, to face other people with love, and to face the challenge of reaching out to a lost world with the gospel with courage. All three of those things are hard, and the truth is that we need each other to be able to do that. Church is not my invention or some other person's invention, it is God's invention. And there is a wisdom in us gathering together to encourage ourselves in these things. If you're a commitment phobe in relation to church, yes, no, maybe, your Christian life will wither. You will probably find ways of persuading yourself that you are doing it for the right reasons, but you won't really bear any fruit. I know of one chap, who you'll know actually, who's a leader in another church, he just became a leader in another church recently that has no formal membership at all in their church. People come, but they don't have any membership. And, and he, he's just become a leader in this church that has no membership, and he's been talking about some of this stuff. And he said, people have been saying to him in my church things like, we don't need a piece of paper to express our love for one another. And um, Jesus is our Lord and Saviour and we come to church to worship him. We don't need to be members of a church formally. We're here, aren't we? But he said the ironic thing is that in the recent debates about the redefinition of marriage, these same people have been up in arms. And when they hear people in the world say, we don't need to get married, we love one another, it doesn't really matter, we don't need a piece of paper, they then say that that's terribly wrong and you should publicly commit yourself to one another. And, and it's kind of, there's, kind of some, there's a hypocrisy in that somehow. We don't really want to be a member of church, we don't need a piece of paper, but we don't agree with people who live together and don't get married. And he, he said these people can't see the irony in that sense of a lack of commitment. It is good to be committed it is good to know where you stand. And if you are committed, actually, you'll have nothing to be afraid in saying, I do. Being part of a church without being fully committed to a church is like dating the church or living together without being married. So the, the, this stuff's important. Last week then, we gave five reasons why... Why should we join a church? Okay, there they are. We're not going to go through them all again. But let, well, we are going to go through them all again. We're going to just recap a little, but not, not in detail. Let me just make this clear. Joining a church formally as a member will not and cannot make you a Christian. Only Jesus can make you a Christian. It can't make you a Christian any more than any other kind of good works, Christian knowledge, morality, baptism, the money you give, the Christian friends you have. None of those things can make you a Christian. Someone very 
uh, wittily said, living in a garage won't make you a car. Being in a church won't make you a Christian. You, it doesn't work that way. Only Jesus can make you a Christian. But if, if you are a Christian, you should be committed as a member of a local church. I want to say this as well. If you're not a Christian, you shouldn't seek to join a church as a member. Still come. We'll come back to this. Still come. First of all, you need to learn what it means to be a Christian. And you can learn that here. And there's space and time for you to be able to do that. But for those of you who are Christians, these are our five reasons. First of all, to assure yourself. Here's the deal. If, 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 you are, if you're a Christian and you're not properly part of a church, I, I can't say for sure that you're not a Christian. I would never dream of saying that. Only God knows really people's hearts. You, you may have some faith. But what, what, what is true is, on the other hand, that I can't truly say that you are a Christian unless you are properly plugged in to a real church in a committed way. Did you, did you understand the difference between those two things? If you're not part of a church, I can't say that you're not a Christian. I would never dream of saying that. But, but on the other hand, I can't truly say that you are unless you are properly plugged in. And showing and giving evidence that you want to follow Jesus. Does that make sense? If you want to assure yourself as a Christian, you need to be plugged in. Secondly, to evangelise the world. Thirdly, to demonstrate the gospel. Two and three really go together. The, the third point I was making there, to demonstrate the gospel. This is part of evangelism in the sense that, as a church, corporately, how we are will say something about the gospel that we believe I've used the illustration with you before. We, we, we sometimes get leaflets through the door from our local gym. I've said this to you before. And they always put pictures on the front of people who are the super fittest, slimmest, most well-tanned, bodybuilding type people. And I think when I get that, why on earth would I go to a gym if all the people there look like that? They'll embarrass me. What they should do is put pictures on the front of all the people who are the unfittest, the, the flabbiest, the, you know, the ones who really need to go to the gym. If they all look like that, I'm happy to go because they'll all be like me. And I'll, I, I can go and get fit with them. If we were sending leaflets out from our church, what would they look like? Would they look like the first kind of leaflet? Come to our church and we'll embarrass you because we're all sorted. And you'll fill out a place. Or will the leaflet look like the second one? We need Jesus' grace. And so do you. Come and join us and let's find that together. The church is not a museum for saints with halos. It is a lifeboat station for the stranded. It is a hospital for people who are sick. And the way we are together as a church, our honesty and humility and thankfulness to God for Jesus should say something about the gospel we believe in. It should say to a watching world that we're not self-righteous and smug, but that we're thrilled that Jesus has come and died in our place to save us from our sins. And that Christianity is not about religion, but it is about having a relationship with God because of what Jesus has done for us. 
if church is just about being sorted, what will happen is when we don't feel sorted, we won't want to come because we'll feel, well, it's a bit embarrassing. But when we do that, we're falling for the same lie that the world falls for. There should be a reality and authenticity and honesty about our relationships together as a church because we're demonstrating the greatness of the gospel. Not how good we are, but how good Jesus is. Does our church really demonstrate that? Uh, Fourthly, to build one another up, this is crucial too. Last week we read from Hebrews chapter 10, and the writer there urges Christian believers not to go AWOL. You know what that means, don't you? AWOL, absent without leave. The writer says, be there, be committed in being there. Be enthusiastic about being there. Why? Not so that you can tick a legalistic tick box and feel proud of yourself. No, so that you can encourage one another and stir one another up to love and good deeds. Those of you who are Christians, do you know that you all have a responsibility for each other to encourage one another to help one another to build one another up if you're not here you can't build anyone up and neither can they do the same for you sometimes it's all too easy to think I've had a terrible week this week I don't think I'm going to go to church but that's the very time that we need to be encouraged isn't it And we'll always be the better for it. And so will other people around us as they see the reality of our faith and how we cope with the struggles and difficulties that life throws up and seek to trust God in those things. Lastly, to glorify God. And we touched on that last time. For all these reasons, if you're a Christian, you should join a church in a committed way. Now, the bit we missed was another question what does being a member of a church really entail then that was the bit that we missed what does it mean to be a committed member of a church I want to uh, remind you some of you will have seen this some of you may not have seen this of a diagram that I, I love to use oh there we go are you familiar with this diagram the steps diagram Um, I think this is one of the most helpful things I've ever come across in describing in a visual way what a church should be. Uh, Along the bottom here, this this, uh, little step driver shows on the very far left-hand side an unbeliever, someone who's not yet a Christian, and the journey that they make all the way to this side as a fully devoted follower of Christ. That's the journey that all of us need to make not knowing God to being a mature disciple of Jesus and every step on the diagram is a step in that journey there's one step in the middle there that has a cross on it and that's labelled as the greatest step which is becoming a Christian for someone who is not a Christian the first step might be just simply getting to know other Christians Then there might be another period of of learning a little bit about the Christian message of good news. Um, Perhaps some reflection and questioning uh, what what the gospel really teaches. 
Sometimes, um, Mark Dever, we're basing our series on, on a book that Mark Dever wrote. Mark Dever sometimes asks his church members to summarize the gospel in 30 seconds. What is the gospel? Well, I'm not, I haven't got my uh, seconds on, on my watch here, but ultimately we believe, don't we, that the Bible teaches that all human beings, every one of us, are sinners. Uh, some, some are more respectable sinners than others. But ultimately, we all fall short of God's goodness and purity. And every one of us, all of us alike, stand under God's righteous judgment. There is a very real sense that we have condemnation hanging over our heads. We're guilty and separated from God because of our sin. The Bible teaches that God has done something amazing. He planned to send his son, Jesus, to be a saviour for lost people. And Jesus came into the world to save sinners from God's judgment and actually stood in our place, bearing the punishment that we deserve so that we could be forgiven and be brought into God's family. It's an amazing message that the greatest step of all is to turn from ourselves and to turn to God and put our faith in the Lord Jesus and rely on him for our life and freedom. Becoming a Christian involves repentance of sin and belief in Jesus. One of the reasons that I really like this diagram is the reality that every single person here this morning is on one of those steps. You can't avoid being on one of them. Um, you, you can't not be on one of them. You might only be on the first one. I'm just getting to know Christians. But you're going to be on one of them. And the question is, which step are you on? Everything on the left-hand side of that diagram, on the left-hand side of the cross there, is really all about helping people to come to faith. We call this evangelism. This is our mission. Jesus sends his people out into the world to proclaim this great message of good news so that people will believe and be saved and make that greatest step. But that step is only the first one in a new life and everything on this side of the diagram is about maturing and growing and making progress as a Christian. A healthy church, in some ways, will have people on all these steps and our prayer in our church is that there will be things going on in our church that will move you on to the next step. Or if you're not a Christian, we want to move you on. If you are a Christian, we want you to grow and move on. Mission and maturity, both those things go hand in hand. I want you to notice that the Bible teaches that there are, there are only two kinds of people. Those who are Christians who believe in Jesus and those who are not. Obviously there's lots of different people in the world, but you could divide the whole of the human race into those two categories. Those who are believing in Jesus and those who are not. In this church we believe 
that being a member of a church is not something you do when you become mature, but it is something you do as soon as you become a Christian. It is a natural first step to get plugged in to a local church. And what what I want to show you is that there isn't a huge middle ground here in between these different sides of the diagram. You're a Christian, or you're not a Christian. And if if you're someone who's not a Christian, you've become a Christian, you should be a member of a local church. There shouldn't be 20 years of sitting on the fence waiting for something else to happen. There is no grey area in the middle, according to the Bible. Let me just take you to some verses in the Bible. If you've got a Bible there, just turn with me to the book of Acts. We'll just uh, look at, just very quickly, uh, three or four verses. Um, Acts chapter 2. Um, it's on page 1094, if you've got one of the Red Church Bibles. Acts chapter 2 and verse 47. There's a little summary here at the end of chapter 2 of the very first church in Jerusalem. And it says, just the very last sentence there, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. People came to faith and they were added to the church. You get that? It doesn't say the Lord saved people and told them to wait five years before they could join a church. They were saved, and they were added to the church. You could go to the same page, chapter 4, and um, verse 4. Many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. They believed, and they became part of the church. They could number the church. Who was in it and who wasn't in it? Flick over the page, chapter 5, verse 14. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. There wasn't a probationary period, there wasn't a kind of waiting for a few years. They believed and they were added. To the church. Chapter 6, verse 7. After a little mini crisis, it says the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. There, there are others we could go on into chapter 9 and beyond, all the way through. The book of Acts, the pattern was people believed in Jesus, they were baptised, they joined the church. And the point I'm making is there isn't a middle ground in the middle where you become a Christian and sit on the fence for a few years deciding what to do next. And our church should reflect these dynamics. If you're on this side of the diagram and you're not yet a Christian, pray that God would open your eyes and grant you faith. Keep coming. Seek God. Ask him to show you these things. But if you are a Christian and you're on this side of the diagram, don't be dithering about. Get involved. Begin to grow and make progress. Be added to their number. 
as it says in Acts. If you think about the church as a whole, if we had a church of like, I don't know, just picking a number out there, 100 people, you would have in that church some leaders. You would have people who are committed in membership within the church. You would have a wider congregation of people who are coming to explore the gospel and ask questions. And that whole dynamic of people who are there is part of a wider community. We call that community Rotherham. And that's where God has put us. Here we are in Rotherham. What's interesting about that is that what should be happening in a healthy church is there should be movement out into the community and people in the community should be being drawn in and becoming part of the congregation and then being uh, part of the committed membership, maybe even being trained to be involved in ministry and leadership in some ways. There should be movement out. That's the imperative, isn't it? Go into all the world and make disciples, Jesus said. And there should be movement in. The church as a whole should be growing. And on a Sunday, if there were 100 people here, what percentage should be in each of those groups? I don't know. 5% in the first group, maybe 50% in the committee members group, maybe 45% in the wider congregation who are here regularly exploring, asking questions. That is a sign of a healthy church, isn't it? Because what you've got is people on every step and they're moving through that process. Well, let's hope and pray that our church will be uh, like that. In our little series on what makes healthy church, we've been touching on some key themes. And uh, just to summarise, we're, we're maybe nearly halfway through here, aren't we? A healthy church, there's a priority on preaching and teaching the Bible, so the church is based on God's word. There's a priority of having a biblical concept of God and not just imagining him how we think he should be. We need to know the gospel and understand what becoming a Christian means. We thought about how we go about evangelism and proclaim the good news to others. And now we're thinking about this issue of membership. This is a really great opportunity, isn't it, for all of us to think about where we stand in that dynamic. Our church is open to everyone. You're all welcome. But we want you to move towards faith, first of all, and then be moving towards maturity beyond that. Some of you attend this church regularly, but you're not members of the church in the way that I've been describing this is not because there is an inner clique that is all secretive and mysterious. We want all of you to be members of our church. But we also want to make sure that all of the people who are members of our church are A, truly giving evidence of being a Christian and following Jesus, and B, understanding what being a member of a church means in terms of intentional commitment. If you're not a committed member of this church, we want you to be. We love you and care for you and want you to be involved and part of what we're doing. If you're not ready for that, then still come. But this is what we want for you in the end. We, we want to be clear that, that, that this is where we're going. This is where we want you to go. So what does being a, a member of a church entail? 
Well, the first sign. Do I have another slide here? First sign that someone has come to faith in Jesus really is that they should be baptized. In our church, we generally, generally insist on Christians being baptized as a requirement of church membership. The reason for this is very simple that it really is the first command of Jesus to new believers. When we looked at the words of Jesus two weeks ago in what's become known as the Great Commission at the end of Matthew, Jesus said, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Mark Dever in his book writes this, One must wonder why some who say they are Christ's disciples refuse to do something that they know is clearly commanded. Baptism isn't complicated. In the Bible, baptism doesn't make someone a Christian. But it is an outward sign that the person is wanting to trust and follow Jesus Christ. It is like saying, I'm nailing my colours to the mast. I'm following Jesus now. And I'm pledging myself to live a new life with him and with my fellow Christians by God's grace in a way when we get baptised we're saying goodbye to my old life and to the world in a sense and hello to the church in Acts when people became a Christian they were baptised pretty much straight away and added to the church and I want to say to you I don't want to be hard but I want to say to you if you are a Christian and you're trusting Jesus and you're not baptised, you're being disobedient really to Jesus. And it will be hard for you to grow as a Christian and make progress if you don't get the very first step right. Baptism is really the very first step in the Christian life. And we we could look at this in Acts and I I can leave you to, to do that. So baptism is really important. If you want to ask about that, please, please do feel free to come and ask. I, th- I think for some of you, baptism feels a very brutal process to stand in front of people and get wet in a, in a great big tank. But uh, there, there is a sense in which it is saying, yeah, I love and want to follow Jesus. And I want everyone else to know that that's where my heart is now. Let me uh, articulate a few other things for you. This is um, five things, and, and then we're pretty much done. What are some of the responsibilities of membership then? First of all, to ascend services regularly. I want you to understand that this is not because we're empire building. It's just because it's right. We expect our members to be committed to coming to church simples like the meerkat said to be committed to our growth groups it's hard to see how someone can be a member of a church and then not be there this is where we learn together this is where we can encourage and challenge one another none of it I'm sure is perfect But our attitude should be, I want to follow Jesus and I want to be 
with other people who want to follow Jesus so that we can help one another. I want to build my life around the priority of being involved. I don't want you just to be here to put bums on seats. <laughs> it's not about numbers. Being here is part of you having a healthy Christian life. Drifting is not a new thing. The writer to the Hebrews in chapter 10, we looked at it last week, said, Let us not give up the habit of meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. If you're a member and you are consistently not here, I, I think that'll be a sign that something else isn't right. If you are a, a Christian, you, you should really be here. I know that there are problems and difficulties that crop up from time to time. I'm not talking so much about that, but I, I'm talking about which way a person is facing. Do you want to be here if you could be here? If that's not you, then maybe something isn't right. Secondly, not just to attend services regularly, but to attend communion particularly. I think we have an expectation here that our, our members here will attend communion. It is really important, isn't it, for us to remember Jesus, and in particular his death for us. Do you know in the Bible there are only two things that Jesus told his followers to do, specifically, in, in tangible terms? One was to be baptised, and the other was to take communion. There's lots of other things Jesus commands us to do, but those two practical things, theologians in the past have called those the two sacraments of the church. It doesn't really matter where we meet. It doesn't matter what we do in our service. Jesus didn't prescribe how many hymns we should sing, how, you know, what we should do, whether we should stand up, sit down, whether we should break into small groups. What Jesus did say is, I want you to be baptised and I want you to remember me by taking communion together. Communion is not for people who are not yet Christians. It's for those who know and love Jesus. And Mark Dever, interestingly in his book, Mark, Mark Dever's church is in Washington, D.C., on Capitol Hill. It's an amazing church. But it's been there since the 1800s. And he, he says that in his church, for many years, when the church started, if someone didn't come to communion that was a possible reason for them to be excluded from the membership of the church. And he said, all, all the members sat down and they wrote out a covenant of all the things they promised to do. And one of them was, we, we, and we promised that we'll attend communion. So on a Thursday night, they used to have a special meeting on a Thursday night that they called a covenant meeting. And all the church would gather together to search their hearts and talk with one another to make sure that there was nothing wrong so that when they had communion at the weekend, they would all be in the right frame of mind and spirit to have communion. So amazing that. And if someone didn't come to communion, the leaders would be, well, they wouldn't be on the phone in the mid-1800s, they'd ride their horse around to the house and say, where were you on Sunday? You were at communion. Is something wrong? Have you backslidden? Why are you not here with us, celebrating the fact that Jesus died for our sins? Uh, 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 can you imagine being in a church like that? Leaders were... Well, they were, they were wanting to care, weren't they, for the people. Well, there are all sorts of reasons that, that crop up. 
And we're not wanted to make this a legalistic thing, but it is so crucial, isn't it? To be here. And this is an expectation and responsibility of being a member of a church. Thirdly, um, to attend members' meetings consistently. In this church, we, we make decisions together, in a sense, congregationally. Our leaders lead, but try to lead in a servant-hearted way that seeks to bring the whole church uh, along together. And our members' meetings are important. And they don't work effectively unless our members commit to being there. This is where we talk about how we're doing and where we're going. And we pray and think about our plans and strategies. And uh, it's really important that we're all involved in that process too. Uh, Fourthly, very quickly, to pray regularly. Um, We've really tried this year, I don't know if you've noticed, to have an emphasis on prayer. We're trying to have uh, regular prayer meetings at different times. Um, when someone becomes a member of our church we give them a prayer diary has a list of all the members so that we can pray for one another each day Um, I always feel good on a Tuesday because that's the day when you're all praying for me hope and maybe there's other days when I'm praying for you it's good to have a prayer diary and to pray for one another it's good to be aware of each other's needs so that we can pray Do you pray for your brothers and sisters here? If you only pray when you feel like it, you hardly ever will pray if you're anything like me. It's it's an intentional thing, isn't it, to set some time aside, to pray for one another. And uh, this is something that we should talk about, isn't it, as as members together. We need to encourage and help one another. It's an excellent thing to pray together corporately. It is a sad fact that a church's prayer meeting is often, in all churches, it seems to be the pattern that the church's prayer meeting is the one that is the least attended time. And uh, in our church, we've tried to schedule prayer meetings at different times so that at least all of you can come to one of them, um, if, if not more than one of them. We often pray on a Wednesday on our steering team. Uh, Richard and Jai and I pray together most days, sometimes for some of you specifically, when there are needs that, that are cropping up. And this is how we express our dependence on God, isn't it? And seek his help, guidance. And it helps us to orientate our church life around God and his glory rather than around us and our needs. Um, Fifthly, uh, to give regularly. The Bible is full of instructions about giving. As a church here, we're not part of a, a denomination that has uh, central funds somewhere in London. Um, Everything that we do as a church uh, just comes from the members here giving. The principle really is that it is a radically Christian thing to be generous. And when Christians give, really it is a sign of the power of selfishness being broken by the gospel. God has blessed us so that we can bless one another. As God gives to us, so we want to give in an open-handed way to others. I don't know who said it, but one, um, one I don't know, who did say this? One, one Christian writer said, the, the last thing to be converted, really, 
is a man's wallet. And I, how true that is. We can give all sorts of things, but when it comes to money, it's mine. And the, la- the last thing to be converted is a man's wallet often. This is part of our Christian lives, isn't it? It's how the church uh, works. It is how the church is funded. Uh, and it's part of our worship of God. So are you giving generously to God's work here? We don't expect visitors or people who are not yet Christians to give. We're not trying to seek lottery funding or grants from people who are not Christians. This is one reason why in our church we never take a public offering because we don't want to embarrass people who are are visiting. We don't want to look like we're just after people's money. We don't want to bang on about money all the time. But it is vital that our members are giving wholeheartedly what they can. And it does say something about where our heart is in relation to God. Well, these are some of the things that uh, being a member of a church will entail. We could add lots of others, but maybe these are kind of some basic ones. Rob's read to us uh, earlier from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If the church is a body, you are its arms and ears and hands and feet. If the church is a building, you are the bricks. If the church is a flock, you are the sheep. If the church is a vine, you are the branches on that vine. If you're a Christian, you ought to be a member of a church it's not just a record of some past decision that you made it's not just a sign that we're all familiar with one another it is a sign of a living commitment it is a sign of something valuable and precious if it isn't a living commitment it's worthless really isn't it Uh, actually some would say it's worse than worthless it's actually dangerous Members who are uninvolved confuse everyone. Because membership is the church's corporate endorsement of someone's salvation in a way. And how can the church as a whole endorse someone who is invisible and not involved? Being committed and involved in a local church is an evidence that you are faithfully running the race and wanting to follow Jesus. I was on my course uh, down in South Wales in January and I was talking to the principal of the college. Some of you will know him. Um, He used to be a pastor of a big church, over 300 people down in Reading. And they went through a two-year process of restructuring and reorganising a lot of things they were doing. And uh, they began to think about membership. And he suggested to all of his elders and leadership team and ultimately to the whole church that they brought in a rule in the church that no member in their church would ever be allowed to resign. And I was really shocked by that. He he said that to me. We had a rule that no member was ever allowed to resign. And I said to him, what on earth is that all about? And he, he explained to me, he said, there's only three ways to leave a church. And he had a twinkle in his eyes, he said it. The first is you get promoted to a better membership. Glory. (laughs) 
That's the first way to leave a church. You die and become a member of, well, you're already a member of that church, but you're going to go there. So one way of leaving a church is to die. The second way to leave a church is that because of circumstances, you move from that area to a different area and you go with the blessing of your leaders and church family and get sent to another church where you become just as much of a member of that church as you've been of the church you're in now. That's good, I think, isn't it? I think when people move to another church, it's good if the other church writes to us and says, this person is wanting to become a member of our church. What are they like? What a joy it is when you can write back and say, it's our loss, but your gain. They're fantastic. They love Jesus. They love God's people. Get them, get them joined into your church and plugged in. They'll be a great blessing and encouragement to you like they've been to us here. What a joy when that happens. And the third reason to leave a church is because there's church discipline and someone isn't fulfilling the requirements of membership and so they're excluded from being a member because they're not living like a member should. Why would anyone want to resign? Why would they? Well, they brought that rule in and the whole church agreed. And from that day forward, anyone who became a member of the church, they explained to them when they became a member, you do realise that you'll never be allowed to resign, don't you? You'll either die or move or you won't live up to responsibilities and you'll be excluded from being a member. that, That highlights how serious and weighty, what a privilege and what an awesome thing it is to be a member of a local church. This isn't consumerism. This isn't, well, I'll go to this church for a bit. Yes, no, maybe. Then I'll go to a different one. This, this is about commitment and loyalty and faithfulness, isn't it? We have a sign outside that says we are a church for people that don't go to church. And that is an attempt to hide. I came across one Christian couple recently and they said they're never going to come to this church because they thought that slogan was worldly. I wish they'd come and talk to me before saying things like that. What does that slogan mean? It's an attempt to welcome people who wouldn't necessarily think that church was for them. We're not an exclusive club in that sense. The gospel is wide open for people to come believe in Jesus. Jesus said whosoever will may come and that has to be true of our church as well but we're all clear that our whole reason for being here is that people get to know Jesus take that greatest step of repentance and faith and then get baptised and plugged in to being a faithful active member of a local church like this one If you are a Christian, don't be a commitment phobe. Be serious about following Christ. And let your deliberate membership of this church be an encouragement and a challenge to you. Be part of the body of Christ. When Rob's read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks there about being part of the body of Christ. But it's very interesting that in chapter 13, 
He then goes on to talk about love, doesn't he? And I just want to close with that, really, because what I've said today, I think there's a real danger that what I've said today sounds awful. It sounds legalistic. It sounds authoritarian. It sounds ticking boxes. And I think those of you who know me know that that is very far from where we want our church to be. We don't want to do this stuff because it's legalistic. Where does Paul go in chapter 13? He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And he goes on very eloquently to talk about, actually, this is not about ticking a box. What it's really about is love, isn't it? Jesus said, This is how all people will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. Not that you drift in and out, but that you love one another. This ultimately isn't about ticking a box. It is about love for Jesus and love for one another. If you want to ask questions about what we've been saying last week, this week, please do. What does baptism involve? How can I be involved and serve Jesus in this church? How can I grow as a Christian? How can I give regularly? How can I pray? What can I do? If you've got questions about the gospel, what is it to be a real Christian? Please, please, come and ask so that we can help you. Uh, Ask someone else in the church here so that we can help you to trust in Jesus and then to grow in your Christian life. We're here to help and we want to be a healthy church that is a living witness to the faith in Jesus that we together share. And may that be uh, a reality here uh, to to God's glory. Uh, Amen.